welcome back to another episode of Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. I'm your host, Bobby Kaler. On this podcast, we explore all things related to thriving and flourishing in life. There are three fundamental truths that inform not just my podcast, but my coaching as well. And they are, number one, the future can be changed. You are not stuck and you are not trapped by your predictable future. Wherever you are right now, it's just your present state. It does not determine where you can go in life. Fundamental truth number two, you can change your future. This might be the best news of all. You don't need to be rescued by someone else. You can do that for yourself. In other words, you can be your own hero. And fundamental truth number three, you do not have to wait. Too many people think that they have to have the perfect plan or all the knowledge or all the skills before they can get started. Nothing is further from the truth. I've coached a lot of people in my career. And trust me when I say that you can learn whatever it is that you need to learn along the way. The key is to start. If you've listened to the podcast before, you'll probably know that we find stories and experts who shed light on these different areas so that we can all flourish and thrive. Let's dive in to today's episode. My guest today is someone that I first met 10 years ago. He is just an amazing human being, and I know that you're going to love meeting him. He is a sales leader with 14 years experience focused on coaching and empowering sales reps and other leaders to do their best work. His name is Michael Gagnon, and I cannot wait for you to meet him. So Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I have been an avid listener and I've been a fan of yours for many years now. And just the chance to get to sit down and talk with you again is super exciting. So thank you. It's a thrill. Oh my God. I have been looking forward to this, Michael. Just it's unbelievable. I guess what we should say is we first met what, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And were you were in training, weren't you at that time? Like you were... That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I was a training manager. So I would onboard and bring in new sales hires for the organization. And they would work with me for about a month. And I would get them ready and ramped and to jump right into a sales territory. Wow. God, it seems like forever ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been a great 10 years. So let's do this. First of all, I guess, why don't you, would you just introduce yourself to the listeners? and And then we'll go into your story from there. Sure. My name is Michael Gagnon, and I am a, a sales manager, a sales coach. I work for GoTo, which is a software company that sells remote work software. So not a uh, not a uninteresting industry to be in during a pandemic. That's I for bet sure. not. I bet you it's been crazy. Just a little bit. Yeah. I think yeah. we saw a 400% increase in our business overnight just in uh, from March of 2020, which is which is very, very Whoa. interesting, right? It's unique. And from a, from a sales management perspective, right? That entire shift from being in an office, working face-to-face, coaching face-to-face with your team to a completely remote life. Yeah. I, I feel like I've learned, it's just been a masterclass and just <laughs> learning how to be resilient and gritty and adapt for sure. Yeah, because we have to, right? I mean, 
I remember when it, when the pandemic first started, I was coaching managers. I, I did, was doing co- quarterly coaching with another company. I don't know. I'd coach 30, 40 managers a quarter. And it was interesting right away. Some were like, Hey, we've got to adapt. We, we have to, you know, let's be resilient. And, and some of them were like, I'm just waiting for things to go back to normal. And I thought you're going to have a long wait. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Right? <laughs> <laughs> with that pretty soon. And they're like, no, it's not going back to normal. So why don't you, sh- cause I didn't even know this about you, but would you share a little bit of your backstory? Cause I think this is, it's inspiring. Absolutely. Well, thanks for, thanks for asking. So I am a, uh, the product of an army fam- family, a military family. And that meant that we moved around with them army bases at different points uh, throughout my childhood. And what that ultimately meant is that, you know, my, my childhood was marked by corrections is kind of the best way I can describe that. A lot of those corrections were just based out of fear. I think my parents absolutely did the, the best they could and, and the best they knew how to do. And there was a lot of fear that I didn't act like the other boys. I didn't, I didn't talk and behave and I uh, didn't have the same interests as the other, other boys did. And that fear was really the root of, of what my parents were afraid of. They were afraid that I was going to be rejected, that the world was oh. going to reject their son or how I would be treated or mistreated because of that. And that led to the corrections of, of let's, let's make a man out of him. Let's, let's be so sensitive. Let's make sure that we toughen him up a little bit. And so I just remember every, every mannerism, every, every time I would walk or talk, it just was con- I was constantly corrected of, nope, that boys don't walk that way or, or boys really? don't talk like that. Or yeah, it just was a lot. Of, there was a point I remember I was in, we were riding in the car and I guess my parents had looked in the rear view mirror and I had, I was checking out my nails. <laughs> and I was doing a very like elected parenting, like dynasty type of type of look. And the car pulled over, and they said, "Michael, boys don't do that. Boys look at their at their hand like this. This is the right way to do it." And all of those directions are, are kind of they. It's, it's like pennies in the jar, right? It just it just they accumulate over time. Yeah. And it all kind of came to a head after shortly after I graduated high school, and I was thirty minutes late for curfew and possibly a. A rebellion, but <laughs> and my uh, I remember coming home and my dad had a had an empty box in his hand and he said, "When I come home from work tomorrow, you will no longer live here." And that was that. So I was wow. most likely to to succeed in high school one week, and a few weeks later, I was I was homeless and didn't have anywhere to live. So the summer leading up to college was marked by living on my car, crash, crashing on French couch, couches. I had a friend who had a couch in her garage, and so she would sneak me in to just be able to sleep in her garage at night, uh, just so I had somewhere that I could actually sleep. And uh, I still went to school. So, so college started in, in August. And so I was able to move up to school a little early, get in the dorm and started working full time, uh, washing dishes in a cafe and, and school full time. Wow. And kind of the rest is history, but it, but it did set me on a path in my career to be in survival mode to, to, Mm-hmm. This was a career and, and, and making money and a job was all about how to eat. And yeah. a lot of those, uh, those moments that the trauma of that time being, being somebody in crisis, I have just a lot of memory of being hungry, yeah. not, not knowing where that next meal was going to come. And so working in a cafe meant that I at least had each day I worked, I at least had a, a shift meal that I could, I could survive on. I also found Panera. Uh, they would toss out the fresh bread. From made from that day, and so I could go into the dumpster at night and and get some bread to live off of for, for a couple of days. So, 
that's a lot of the memory that it is a bit of a blur because I think you do get into that survival mode, but that hunger led me into sales. Mm -hmm. I was so tired of working multiple jobs and trying to make ends meet. I ended up through a network, be able to, to jump into sales and didn't get the job initially. So I, I interviewed and they said, thanks, but no thanks. You don't have any experience in this, in this area. But, but the hiring manager said, you know, there's something I see in you and I, we don't have an opportunity for you at the moment, but call us back in a couple months and we might have something. Wow. So I guess I made enough of an impression. And then from there, they actually called me a, mo- a month later and they said, actually, someone has backed out that we had hired instead of you. And we're going back through the rejection resumes and we'd like for you to interview again. There's one person you haven't met with. Would you be open to it? And I said, yes, absolutely. That's Still awesome. very hungry. <laughs> and I ended up getting the opportunity and was able to, to jump in and went through training. And then a month later, the, uh, the, great, Re- or the great Recession happened. And <laughs> so 2008 and <laughs> had my territory for a month and, and then the bottom fell out of the economy. And, and I had to, to learn to, to figure this out. If yeah. you can learn to sell in the worst economic conditions, you can sell anything the rest of That's right. And I, because I had no background, I had no bad habits. And I was just a sponge and was able to jump right in. That's a great point. That's a great point. No bad habits. Wow. And I was hungry. If yeah. they said, if you say this, if you do this, then you're, you're going to hit your number. Then that's what I was going to do because I, I, I was so tired of, of bartending and working till 2 a.m. I was so tired of working multiple jobs. I just said, okay, this is, I, I, I was very literal. If you say to do this, then that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it worked out well. I ended up moving, trying to move into to management. That was another example where I had, had to go multiple times. I got turned down about five times before uh, they hired me for a management position. And it was the position, the fifth time was the position that they turned me down the first time. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. But I, I had no, I had no ego involved because I was just so hungry. <laughs> There was no, I didn't care that I had gotten turned down or rejected because I just wanted to do well. And I, because everything was based on survival, right? Success to me was being able to have food on the table, have a roof over my head to be able to provide for myself. And yeah. I was in that role just a few months when you, you came and, and you were, you were hired as a corporate trainer. And I absolutely love that experience. You, you made a huge impact on me. It was one of those moments where I very clearly, very distinctly remember that there's somebody that is sitting across the table from you and sees something in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself. And that's the mark of a a fantastic coach. And it was the first time that you really even had me even think about myself to identify as a coach. Because I just, I I didn't feel like I I fit the culture. I had it in the back of my head that you weren't the first choice in many different roles. Oh, yeah. They would have preferred someone else in that role, but you ended up getting it. And there was a part of that in the back of my head that said, well, maybe, maybe I'm not really cut out for this. Maybe this isn't really me. And you, I don't know, you just, some, there were just things you said that made me really think like, oh no, I can do this. Yeah. And, and, and not only can I, can I do this, but I can make people feel the way Bobby's making me feel right by, by investing <laughs> in them and coaching. So it's, it was a turning point in my career and the rest is history. God, I'm so honored that that just made it. And I, I said this before, that makes me so happy. And I have to tell you, Michael, like, I remember that from the class, from the coaching that we did, you were just a natural, you were just so good at it, that it surprises me to hear that, that you even doubted that. So uh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. No, I, it's one of those things that it's, there are lessons that you pick up in life. There are things that mm-hmm. people tell you about yourself that are not necessarily true. There are lies. You're not good enough. You're not like the others. There's something wrong with you. 
and you, we end up carrying those things. And so yeah. it's been a journey of unlearning, unraveling the backpack that we all carry full of all the things that we don't need to be carrying anymore. Yeah. And, and learning how to, to let go of the things that no longer serve yeah. me and, and, and my future. It's been it's definitely been a journey. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I love that when you wrote, you know, a ton of unraveling and unlearning. And, you know, you just said there, you know, it's in the backpack that we carry. And I think a lot of times we're not even aware that we're carrying it. So what's that process been like for you? It was eye-opening. I was averaging about two panic attacks a day. No was, way. Was was my turning point. The The anxiety had gotten so bad that I was struggling just to function as an adult in, in daily life, just learning how to, to be able to cope with the, the amount of pressure and anxiety, that voice that I was hearing in my head of that, that I had been hearing all my life. I was carrying it around as the inner critic was my, it was my parents' voice. It was the, mm -hmm. you're not doing it right. And when you can't be your authentic self, when you're constantly correcting your own behavior, you're correcting yourself, you're, mm -hmm. you're second guessing that you're not the right person. You're not the right fit. There's somebody better to do that. Right. All of those things that go on in your mind, I was spending so much time a day talking myself out of success. And I had to really make a concerted effort that my that my mental health was was a priority. And, and I started meditating. I had learned through a theater coach how to meditate in high school. And it's been one of those things that I just, I, oh, I know how to do it. Okay, I understand the practice, but I, I had gotten away from it. And it was a chance for me to, especially even going into the pandemic, just, just taking a chance to catch my breath and mm -hmm. just focus on breathing was sometimes the only thing I could do for myself that day was just take take 15 minutes and breathe. And yeah. out of that process, I learned that I had been just in survival mode. I had not been making a priority to enrich my life, to enhance my life, to really focus on life outside of work. It had been all about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live to work. And I really yeah. needed to shift my priorities to, to work to live. We've been told, right, focus on your why. Always have a clear understanding of why you're doing everything. And my why had been to have a roof over my head, to, yeah. to live, to, to not to be to get out of the trauma and, and crisis mode of, of being homeless and, and struggling with, with poverty. And fast forward 20 years, and that was no longer the case. Mm -hmm. and, and through a lot of hard work and, and a lot of a lot of help and, and coaching from folks like you and that have really helped me along the way. And I needed to reevaluate what that, what that why was now and, yeah. and not think about what it, what it used to be. And so being a happy, healthy person who's thriving and not necessarily just, just getting up each day to hit a number or getting up each day to, to just climb the next step in the career. Not that those things aren't important to me, but it's not the sole purpose behind everything that I'm doing. And and when you reevaluate what your why is, is, my why is to bring out the best work in each person that I work mm. with and also bring it out for myself. Do, do the best work of my career. That's it's, it's a very different type of why and it's a lot more meaningful and it's a lot more enjoyable. And I love how you put it, bring out the best in yourself and others. Exactly. So my, my, if I identify as a coach, so I have to walk the walk and talk the talk. And I wasn't, I was coach. I was giving all the best advice. I wasn't taking any of it. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that. Now I have to ask, <laughs> when was it that you were having the panic attacks? How recently? Leading into about 2019. So you had many years of success. I mean, you weren't in danger of going back to living in your car 
any point there. I mean, real danger, right? Correct. Uh, on paper, yeah, right. I can rationalize that yep. now. But at the time, it all felt like I was a step away from having to, to go right back to that. Yep. And, and it, you, when you're raised with that scarcity mindset, you really, you, you hold on to that. It's been a process of learning to let that go and, and trust that, that I've been able to build a career, that I've been able to build skills that will lead me to be able to provide for myself. And I don't have to operate from a place of not having enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because it's not a rational exercise. You know what I mean? It's very much emotional. For sure. Yeah. 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 So God, there's so much to, to explore there. One of the things you said, you know, living in survival mode for the last 20 years, and maybe there was a point where that kind of work ethic, you know, that thousand percent hustle on everything. Maybe there was a time when that was needed or was called for, but recognizing it doesn't serve me now. It's not necessary now. That can be hard. That can be hard for people even to see. And it sounds like for you, it was the same thing, right? It, it took you really maybe kind of pausing and reflecting for that to emerge. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to still to get there and still have a sales number and, and oh. still have a, a quota to hit, right? So, and that means that when the quarter ends or, or um, you know, the, the, um, it's time for forecasting, that inner pressure to say, okay, well, I'm just going to work harder then I'm yeah. going to outwork and I'm going to just spend more hours and we're going to, we're going to dive mm. in and really, and really get this. At the end of the day, I'm not helping anybody. If I'm not helping myself, if I'm sacrificing everything in my personal life, if I'm yeah. sacrificing all the other pillars of that make up who I am and what's important to me, there's no point in sacrificing all those things just to, to be able to have a career. You can hit your sales number. You can be able to be very successful and still also live a very productive and, and, and happy life. Sure. Yeah. There's a balance. Yeah. It's so funny when you said the word outwork, that was, man, that resonated for me because that's been part of my, my life story, right? I cannot work anyone. I mean, I was always like, even I was the shortest, smallest kid from, you know, always I was a starting shortstop. And, and I always knew I wasn't going to be the best player when I first stepped on the field, but I could work my way into being the best. And so that that's part of like my identity. I can outwork anyone, but at a point that no longer serves us. Outworking is not, that's not what's called for all the time. But man, you know what it's like? It, and this is funny because I love using a hammer and nails. Like I love using a hammer and nails. It, it terrifies Rick. If he sees me at the hammer, he's like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I'll use it like, you know, you, know, it, you should be using a screwdriver and, and, you know, a drill or something. I'm using a hammer and nails. But when, when you have one of those things, it's, be, it, it, it's like, you know, every problem is a nail if all you have is a hammer, you know? And so it's, it's kind of that same thing. So, and I know that one of the things you talked about is um, in, in beforehand, that there's a myth in sales that you have to work longer hours, never take time off, be available 24 seven, because what's going to happen to the team if you're not there? What would you say to those sales managers who they're still operating in that myth? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're bringing the, the nail gun. It's not just the hammer, they're bringing the nail gun in every situation. <laughs> I think learning to empower your team and to entrust your team and give them the confidence that they can operate without you isn't mm. the end of your career. That's the start of your career. That's uh. when doors open for you. That's when you have an opportunity to explore extra projects and extra things outside of your goal to take a bigger piece of the pie when your team can do their best work, whether you're 
sitting in the same room with them or whether yeah. you're all working remotely, but you're, you're, you're right there in, on every meeting, right? It, you can't, there's, for, for my team, there's one of me and, and 10 of them. I cannot work enough for the output of 10 people. There, there's no mm-hmm. time in the day. There's, there's no amount of effort that I could put in that would be able to maximize the efforts of just me doing the same kind of output that 10 people can do. And, yeah. and in order for me to really bring out their best work is to give them that space and empowerment and teach the intuition of what would Michael want? If he's not available, mm-hmm. what is it that he would want me to do? Where would he coach me to go? If I had a question, I need an answer. Right? That's where you really make the impact. Yeah. As a sales manager, you have about a year, year and a half, ultimately, to work with, with the people on your team today. That's kind of the way, the way sales teams move, the way things change, great resignation is mm-hmm. happening. There's a lot of movement in the market at the moment. And you, you have a, a, a short amount of time to make an impact on their career. And so why not empower them? Why not instill those lessons that have made you successful, but really teach them how to work with life after you, because that's going to be the majority of their career. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that. I remember this was, oh my God, going back to when I lived in Portland. So like it was 2003, 2004, something like that. And I was working with a manager. He ran a credit union. He said very much the same, like help them understand how do we make decisions? Like this is, you know, so walk them through because because you can't be there all the time and nor do you want to be. You want to be able to go home and enjoy dinner with your spouse, right? <laughs> or, you know, here's an idea, take a vacation and have it really be a vacation. <laughs> so was that hard for you to relinquish I guess there's some control that you're relinquishing. Is it was that hard for you? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and I think, yes, I will be the first to admit that it's, it's, it is it is a daily reminder. So the aspect of realizing these things isn't that you suddenly have this realization and then everything's perfect moving forward. It's something that you have once you realize it, then you're constantly aware of it when you do it, and you have to hold yourself mm-hmm. accountable. And you have to have accountability partners as coaches in your life to say, hey, when you notice this thing about me. I need you to speak up, right? I think that's a, a great part of, of marriage is having someone who will very clearly speak up if there's something <laughs> that you're doing they don't like, or if there's something that, that, you, that could be done different or better. And, and having somebody in your corner that sees the best in you and wants the best for you yeah. is, a, is a good example. But so, yeah, it's something I have to constantly work at. I think the, the turning point has really been leading in a remote capacity mm. because you do have to relinquish that control. If you're a sales leader in, in a remote world, if you don't trust your team, it's a very scary place to work at the moment because you, you, you can't sit, you're not sitting next to them. You're not encouraging them to get on the phone. You're not encouraging them to, to, to reach out and set meetings just by hovering over their shoulder, right? You, there's, right. there's a lot that you have to do differently. And the biggest piece was I had to sit back and say, really understand that I trust these people. I trust these people wholeheartedly. The people I'm hiring, and the people I'm bringing on my team, if I if I can't trust them to do their best work each day, whether I'm sitting with them or not, or whether I'm working or if I'm on vacation, right? But those are the higher people that you can absolutely trust. Yeah. And if you don't trust them, then you either have to, there's something about you and maybe you're in the wrong field or maybe you've hired the wrong people. And that's that's the long and the short of it is, is really trust is a huge part of, of leading in a remote world right now. That's huge. That, and that makes a ton of sense because you're not... Like when you're, when you're all there together, it's easy to be walking by their desks, their cubicles, see what's going on. You don't have that. So what have you seen as far as, because I'm, I'm sure that there could be some people thinking, yeah, but what about productivity? You know, how has it affected results? 
what would you say there? I mean, how, how did it affect you and your team's results? Our results have, have just continued to grow. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the amount of time you're saving, I, I'm saving 45 minutes in a car. Yeah. I had a, I had a 15 minute walk once I got out of the car to the, to the office. I, we were on the 17th floor. We were at the, the penthouse of the building. And so I had a long elevator, elevator ride up and down. I'm saving all of that time and they, they are as well. I also, I get to work with a team that is dispersed. So I get to work at the best of the best across, across the country. Right. Nice. I don't, I don't have to hire out of one particular location or I don't have to look at just people within one, one, one area. I get to really hire the best people that are, that are across the country. And yeah. so there's a lot that's opened up. So just the talent pool, the, the, the quality of each of our lives, right. I get to, I get to be closer to my teammates now than I ever did before because I have a window into their lives. You get to, you get a window into their homes. That's you right. You get to see the the cat that that joins the meetings. You get to see the their children. I've got to meet their their significant others. There's there's a, there are a lot of ways that we can focus on what we've gained versus what we've lost. Yeah. And, and productivity is definitely one that we, it's not something we've lost. Yeah, I, I think it's in, it allows people to have I don't know be more creative like in how they live their lives. You know, we've got, we, I've moved twice since we, since we worked together. (laughs) We live up in Grand Lake now and it's kind of a resort area, really and truly like only 10% of the people that live here, uh, 10% of the people who have houses here live here full time. And we're one of those people. And so we have a neighbor, Brian, that he does not live here full time, but because of the pandemic, he, he and his wife, they, you know, they started homeschooling and his wife really drives that. And then they decided, well, if we're homeschooling and I'm working remotely, why do we have to base our life out of Denver? And they, they got a Winnebago and they've been traveling like all across the country, going to different, you know, national parks, state parks, showing their kids different things. And they're like, this is amazing, you know, but it kind of comes down to what mindset, what lens, if it's terrible, it's going to be terrible. Cause that's what we're going to see. I don't want to, the pandemic has been terrible, right? It's, it's been a loss Certainly. of life and, and all that kind of stuff, but how we respond to it. Like, and that's why I love what you're saying. You're looking for what's the gift in it. What's the positive lesson? Where's the silver lining? Yeah. If, if you know, there's obviously been a lot of loss and there's it's been the hardships uh, across the board, but, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from it. And there right. can't be things that, that work out in our favor for sure. That's right. So one thing too, I wanted to talk about is, um, well, a couple of things. I wanted to get to the story that you shared about your grandmother and how that that seems to kind of drive you a little bit. It does. I come from a long line of hard workers. <laughs> the, just looking across across the family on both sides, it's a lot of hardworking people. My my paternal grandmother was a she worked in a ball bearing factory all her entire career, and her experience really is a good example of kind of the unlearning and the unraveling of, of lessons that get passed down. She retired and within two years of retirement, she died of Alzheimer's. And it was such a, it was a very quick, quick experience. And that reminded me that there's, there's the retirement time and the amount of time we have from the point where we say we're no longer going to work to the, to the point where we, we are no longer on this planet is not guaranteed. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, but how much of all of our planning goes into and all of our focus goes into that one day experience. I'm going to do this. And then one day I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to do this. And one day I'm going to be able to retire or, or focus on the hobbies or all the other things that I'm, I'm neglecting because I don't have the, the time and effort and resources and energy to be able to put into it because I work. And 
she didn't have that. No. And all that time went into to building her family and, and, and working. And then she had two years. And so for me, it, it was a really good lesson of enjoy what you can now. And, yeah. and of course, plan for retirement, plan, plan for the future. <laughs> It's not the lesson, right? Just a oh, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but find the joy in now. Find the joy in the opportunity, so that it's you're not just working for one day. Yeah, that's my guarantee. Yeah, I've I have a colleague who says, uh, or I guess he's a friend. He says one day or someday. That's not a day on the calendar. It's, it's not a day of the week. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like that. How do you how do you go about implementing that? Because I think it's easy. We know it'd be good to do, find more joy, enjoy things more now. What have you done? Because you just strike me as a joyful person. You always have. Um, and it's one of the things I've always loved about you. So how do you do that? There's a lot of privilege that goes into it. I understand as a, as a, as a white male in business, I, there's privilege there. So, you know, I, I think I, I do want to make sure I'm, I'm being very cognizant of that. I, it, but it is an effort. It is something that you have to work towards. My, my husband and I decided that instead of waiting for the retirement place for the future, we decided we were going to get a, a log cabin in the Smoky Mountains oh, now. Nice. So, so right before the, the pandemic, we had, we had found a, a little log cabin on the, on the side of a mountain. And, and obviously, there's a lot of privilege that goes into that. So being able to stare at different walls during lockdown was, was oh, definitely yeah. a blessing. But it means that it's something that we can enjoy now and build those memories now. And then in the future, it's the place that we can we can consider for retirement. So the lesson isn't, oh, just go just go buy real estate or, or get a vacation. But the, the lesson is start thinking about the things that make you happy and what you want out of life now, what you want out of the future. Maybe there are steps that you can take now to kind of get, get you a little closer to that. And yeah. I think that each of us has something, you know, whether it's just a bucket list of items, that, things I wish I could do, places I want to see, things I want to experience. I think we all have that. And, mm -hmm. and instead of thinking about, I, I think we're all conditional people, especially on the sales side, right? Because we're coin operated. I put the, the coin <laughs> in the machine and then I expect the thing to come out, right? I expect the return on the yeah. investment. And so that can be hard to do the, the, the future planning because it's like, well, if I, if I put it down the road, I'm not getting anything now. So there's, yep. there's that balance for sure. But I think that if you can really be clear on what it is you want, and also accept that you you deserve it. That's right. There's a part of me that right. There's that journey of I'm enough. Yeah. But all, right. And we've talked a little bit about that of just the the amount of corrections of, that I carried with me about what was wrong with me, and to 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 get to a point where I realize not only is there nothing wrong with me, I am enough. But there's that next step, which is the one I deserve to be happy. Yeah. And I and I deserve a life that I can be proud of, and a life that I don't have to carry shame. And so mm -hmm. when you when you let go of that shame and you let go of all of the the corrections and all the, the inner voices that are telling you all the things that are wrong with you that are not enough, you create time and space and energy to focus on something else. Yeah. And that could be the best work of your career. It could be being the the best version of, of you. It could be being the best spouse. Right? There, there's a lot, lot that can come out of just letting go of all the things that we carry that hold us back. Yeah, that is huge. And some people call those, some scientists call them interferences because those are the things that keep us from being present, you know? And, and so was that the work you did in order to get to that space of I am enough and, and I do deserve this, letting go of some of those, the, the inner critic type things? 
Yeah, it, 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 one of the things that has really helped me when I feel like I'm spiraling, I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole where I'm just, I, I'm hyper-focused on, on an issue and I can't seem to let it go is it's kind of my own personal timeout. And yep. the question I ask myself is, is this really the healthiest thing I can be doing right now? Oh, great question. And even if it is the absolute healthiest thing that I could be doing right now, it at least gives me a chance to pause. And it's a decision that I'm, I'm, I'm making. It's a conscious decision that I'm going to continue to go down this path of, of what it was marinating and ruminating on whatever the issue is. Yep. Most of the time, 99% of the time, it's not the healthiest thing I can be doing. And I can, real, I can laugh at myself and I can say, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. go take the dogs for a walk. I'm going to go yep. step outside. I'm going to go make a snack. I'm going to go to yoga, whatever it is, but I'm going to do something that's, that's a conscious effort that's healthier than what I was doing, which was probably beating myself up or yeah. telling myself that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't worthy or I didn't deserve whatever yeah. happiness was coming my way. That's huge. And I love, I love that. Is this the healthiest thing that I can be doing right now? What I love about that, however you came up with it is great. There's a reason that it works though. And, and neuroscientists have looked at that because when we're ruminating like that, we are shutting down the creative side of our brain. Right. And, and we're spending time where we don't need to be spending time. It's, it's not productive time. So by stopping that and kind of redirecting, you're allowing yourself to switch the way that you're that you're approaching things. And it's it, it, there's a reason that that works. And it's huge because, my God, can we waste a lot of time on that stuff? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I have. <laughs> I've done the calculation, so I, I learned that that I actually save seventy four minutes a week just by not doing that. I'm kidding. I was going to say, that. did totally you really kidding. do a calculation? I was going to be so <laughs> impressed, Michael. It's like, oh my god, tell me about that. <laughs> so, I love that. The other thing I wanted to comment on too, you were talking a little bit ago about the oh, the now stuff and the future stuff, right? And I, I'm reading. Well, I was reading a book. I actually took his class. I'm going to butcher his name. It's Tall Ben Shahar. He was a professor at Harvard, is a professor at Harvard, and he teaches a class on happiness. And it's become the number one class ever taught at Harvard because people, they just love it. And he's, he's awesome. One of the things he was talking about is how high achievers were very much in the now. Like, okay, I'm going to invest now. I'm going to invest now. (laughs) And we don't always look to the future. And sometimes we'll sacrifice now to get something in the future but we don't, we're not necessarily good at saying what brings me happiness in this moment. And, and I think that's one of the things that the keys that you're doing, you're thinking about what brings me happiness, what brings me joy now. And, and, you know, so you've got that nice balance of both the, the, the present and the future orientation. And that, that can be hard sometimes to balance. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is, I'm learning and taking notes as you're talking as well. So I'm going to look it up. I think for me, why it resonates is because I know I've seen the other side of it. I know the version of myself that oh. can get to when, when I'm at that unhealthy place, when I'm not mm-hmm. prioritizing it. And so maybe that's the, that's the mechanism for me that, that keeps me in check. Of, I, yeah. I, right? Being able to accept the shadow and accept the dark part means that you also can recognize how we can avoid it and, and how we can keep that, that part of ourselves at bay. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. It also sounds though, like you've made peace with that part of you. You know, there's no shame in that part of you. You're, you're not embarrassed. You're not trying to whatever. It's just an acceptance. Right. It, it, because at the time it was a conscious effort that this is, this is temporary. 
I, mm-hmm. I will not always be homeless. And not because just I, I'm, I'm wishing it away or just because I think that it's going to just change on its own. It was a conscious effort to not ever have to get back to that point, yeah. to not feel rejected or unloved. And because you carry that when, when, when you're told we no longer want you to live with us, there's a lot of rejection and there's a lot of feeling that there's something about me that's unlovable. There's something about me that's unwanted, undesirable. And carrying that with you can really lead to unhealthy relationships. It can lead to just a lot of unhappiness. And I had to really sit down and think the where I'm at today is not, is not where the story, this maybe is where the story starts, but this is not where it ends. I will yeah. not continue this. I really have to work towards breaking this. And, and it, and it served me well, that hustle and the, the drive to, to keep going and to, to continue to grow and learn new skills. And, but it was all out of, fear of, yeah. I, I cannot, this cannot continue. I, I, I can't live in a situation where this is, this is long-term. I also hate to think about what would have happened to me if I hadn't made that decision. And there, there are a lot of people who are in that, in that situation that don't have the opportunity to really think about it. And, you know, I'm very grateful that wherever it came from, I was able to sit down and think through and make yeah. a conscious effort. But there are a lot of po- folks that don't get to that point. And, and so I think that there's, you know, it's, it's good to remind yourself of where you came from, but it's mm-hmm. also, I've had to, again, going back to what I said before, I, I've had to let a lot of that go and there's no shame in it. Mm-mm. There's, there's, there's nothing. It's all part of the story. And, you know, when we got married, our, our wedding planner had said, just remember if things go badly today, or if anything happens, that that's not planned. It's all part of the story. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. <laughs> so was, yeah. And that was a lesson I needed to hear on a day that getting married and very nervous. But I've carried that with me of, okay, yeah, it is all part of the story. And we can laugh about it and we can we can see the humor in it. We can see the lessons in it. We can feel the pain of it. But we don't, it does not have to define the future. And, yeah. and I think that that's a, that was, it was a part of that letting go. I am not mm-hmm. that kid that's sleeping in his car. I'm not that kid that was unwanted. I don't have to be. I can, I can embrace that side of myself. I can, I can honor that but I don't have to be that anymore. Yeah. I love that. It's all part of the story. The other thing I hear there, Michael, is that you're not making your younger self wrong, you know, for having that kind of hustle. And I think that's the other thing we do. Sometimes we get to a new place and we're like, well, why did I spend so much time doing X, Y, Z? Cause you did, right. That's the way it was. It's part of the story. I love that. It's all part of the story. That might, I might be writing. I might make that into a little sign that goes on my wall because <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's, it's a simple message, but it also, it's kind of like the question of, is this the healthiest thing I can be doing? It lightens the load. It does. It, it does. frees you up to just accept it and love yeah. it the way it is, not have to reshape it, not have to augment it in a way that makes you feel better about it. It's just acceptance. Yeah. Man, and with acceptance, I think comes peace. This has been awesome. And I knew it was going to be because I've so looked forward to this conversation. And like I said earlier, maybe, you know, you'll come back and we can talk about some more of this stuff because I just, every time I talk with you, it's like, oh my God, I don't know if you have those. There's some people in my life where I think every time I talk to them and it doesn't, it's not even that often, but I'm like, oh my God, I just get a jolt of, I don't know, happiness or adrenaline, whatever. And you're one of those people. Well, thank you. And the feeling is mutual for sure. You, you, you lit a fire in me a decade ago and it's been burning bright ever since. I really do appreciate all the insight then. And, and just the fact that you'd even think of, of inviting me. I, this has just been a highlight. So thank you so much. 
Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And hey, if someone is interested in reaching out, learning more about you, what you do, or just to, you know, want to say thanks for sharing your story, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn would be my LinkedIn account would probably be the best best way to reach out. Okay, and I'll put that in the show notes. Anything else that you want to share as we're wrapping up here that we haven't that we haven't covered already? I think uh, you and I talked about this initially. My my two responses when you asked me and invited me on was the, f- the first one was yay, Bobby's amazing. <laughs> it's been a long time. I'd love to talk with her. And the second one is well, why why me? What what would I even have to say? And that was a, a good moment for me to pause and say, no, why not me? That's and, right. And I think we all do that. So I would encourage anybody that's that's listening, always think of, remind yourself, why not me? I'm enough. I deserve happiness. Why not share that with other people? So hopefully this has been been impactful. It's very interesting for me to to take a a step back and think that anyone can learn from my experience. So this has been really, really insightful for me. So hopefully this this is something worth listening to. I'm sure it will be. And oh my gosh, Michael, you shared so much that there's so much in here and, and it's going to be hard for me to come up with just my three insights like I usually do. So thanks for making my, my job difficult. <laughs> You're very welcome. And thank you for having me. You bet. I hope that you found tremendous value in that conversation. I know that I did. And as I mentioned during the interview, it is going to be tough to come up with only three insights for thriving. But here we go. Insight number one. Sometimes it's what we unlearn that serves us well for what's next. Michael talked about being in survival mode and how that may have worked for him, you know, right out of high school, but how it's no longer needed now. And not only is it not needed, but it likely gets in the way of him being his best self now. Importantly, we don't have to judge ourselves for this. Maybe it worked in the past, you know, that strategy that we used. It just simply doesn't work anymore. So we can let it go and move on. Insight number two, I really loved his question that he asks himself when he finds himself ruminating. Is this the healthiest thing that I can be doing now? That is brilliant. And I promise that I'm going to be using that. And as I briefly mentioned in the interview, this actually links to research by neuroscientists and happiness researchers. And this is a great strategy to use. Number three, I think that the framing of it's all part of the story is incredibly valuable. It allows us to accept the parts of ourselves and the parts of our pasts without judging or holding on to any of it or anything like that, you know, shame, embarrassment, whatever that might be. And I believe that that acceptance allows us to move forward with both confidence and peace. So that wraps up this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it and that it helps you along your journey. That is my sincerest hope. And that's why I do what I do. Thanks for tuning in and for listening and for sharing the podcast with others. That means the world to me. So thank you so much for doing that. I hope that you have a great week and that you thrive no matter what.